Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. Where the stress comes in around vision is that it has to be so clearly defined. And until I have that so clearly defined, I can't act. You need to find the ebb and flow when it comes to truly creating the performance in life and the thriving life that you desire. The permission to pivot is so critical to achieving anything. You never know what it's going to really look like until you're actually going after it. So when you talk about obstacle removal, it's to get to the root of what's really stopping you right now from acting because it's not about just the end game, you know, and the end result. It's about the journey. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. So I am standing at gate A5 in Boston on my way back from my mastermind to Atlanta, and I forgot to record this intro. So as my friend Lori Harder says, done is better than perfect. So here it is. Kareen Walsh is on the episode today. Kareen Walsh is in my mastermind. She is one of the smartest minds. And I'm, like, I'm, I know people say that all the time, but she really is. She's a business strategist. And she's one of these people where you can sit down with her and say, this is what I'm thinking. And she'll say, well, have you looked at it this way? Have you looked at it that way? And she continually strategizes with you until she finds a place where she feels that this has an inspiration for you, not just tactical sense, but something that's going to light you up and give you life as opposed to taking life away from you. She is really, really good. I love this interview with her. I think you will too. Hope you enjoy this interview and I'll talk to you guys next week. Kareen, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. So great to be here. Thank you. You are so welcome. You know, I am crazy pumped that you're here because you are one of the fastest 
business minds that I know of. And you think so super strategically, and I don't, and I'm crazy jealous about that. So I am super pumped to learn from you. Oh, that is so sweet, Rob. It's it's honestly a pleasure to have this communication with you. And I'm happy to serve you in any way I can. Okay, well, cool. So I think what we'll do is we'll do, we'll basically break this down into three parts. The first one is we'll talk about the science of achievement, which is sort of how you've had the success that you've had leveraging your strategic thinking. And then we'll move into the art of fulfillment and what you do to feel more fulfilled in your life. And then we'll wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Cool? That sounds amazing. Okay, awesome. So what I would like to start with is why your name is not Karen and it's Kareen. Because <laughs> because that is, every time I look at it, I want to go, Kareen, what is the story behind your name? I love that question because it's so funny. I always am correcting people. Basically, my name is a French name. So I am of Lebanese heritage and there's a you know big French influence in that culture. And so the French way of spelling my name is K-A-R-I-N-E is how they would spell it if I were in France or Lebanon. But then when we came to the States, I mean, I'm first generation American. My mom wanted to spell it in a way that would be easy to phonetically read it. So it became Kareen, K-A-R-E-E-N. Well, then here in the States, definitely Karen is more familiar. <laughs> and so I constantly... And it's really funny that you bring this up because it's it's a really great way to break the ice with people. When I say my name and they ask me to introduce myself... I sometimes have to say it's like Karen with an extra E. <laughs> so, and the E is for exceptional or the E is for exciting, <laughs> you know, so that That's it awesome. <laughs> that it gives it a little color. So, and my maiden name was Czar, which is a really strong maiden name. So, to go from Czar to Walsh was another big change for me, but I truly find a lot of power in my name in general. So, I love that you brought that up. Well, listen, if we were married, you'd have all kinds of problems. You'd be Kareem Murgatroyd. <laughs> Nobody would know what the hell to call you. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right. So let's rewind the clock a bit. And I want to talk about growing up in Arlington, Virginia. You mentioned earlier that your family is from Lebanon. And I really do believe that ethnicity plays a big role in how we grow up in terms of values, uh, et cetera. So can you describe for us what growing up in a Lebanese household was like for you? Sure. Um, actually, I was uh, born in Jersey and grew up in Jersey and New York. My mom is currently in Arlington. Um, ah, okay. So just to, just to clarify where, yeah. where I was raised. But um, okay. so it, what's interesting is the Lebanese culture and mindset it's almost like I learned at a very young age to take advantage of what's in front of you, all opportunity, because you literally could be gone tomorrow. And I know that sounds harsh, but it is a reality that we had because we came to the States, A, for opportunity. My, my dad had his career growth and was recruited to a financial company here in, in New York. And so my mom, I had a, I have a sister that's three years older than me and she was pregnant with me at the time. This was back in 75. 
And so when we moved here, the war uh, in Lebanon, which was a lot of territorial issues there, still still happened today. Obviously, it hasn't been completely resolved, but that created opportunity for our family to grow, but also had this energy in our household of how to create a sense of community and a culture that they both understood being Lebanese, going to American-educated schools themselves, and what opportunities they'd be able to provide us as their daughters. So growing up in Jersey, what's interesting, I'll tell you a little antidote of what happened um, that my mom recounts for me, was um, she? I had just been born. I was maybe like... No, actually, she was pregnant with me when they got here, and they moved into the house in Jersey, and neighbors actually spray-painted on our garage door to go back home. And she didn't realize that she had moved into a community that was, I believe what she said was, was like predominantly Jewish, but didn't understand, you know, the Middle Eastern cultures at the time. Like it was all from the news. It was all very harsh. And it really didn't humanize just us as people living from a different country, having, you know, different experiences now coming into their neighborhood. So interesting because I would not, you know, Jersey is is a melting pot. I guess it depends on where in Jersey you were, but Jersey for the most part is pretty much a melting pot with all kinds of ethnicity. Yeah, and right now it's definitely more accepting, et cetera. But if you can think back to the 70s, you know, hijackings were taking place. War was a, a, a thing on top of mind. People were just fear-based. You know, it's just more about that fear of the unknown. And then having someone come into the community, a, a, a cultural difference showing up in a community that was probably established for a long time, not sure how to react. And so there was some anger there. Well, I'll tell you how my mom responds. And this is this is why you'll get a little piece of me understanding me because she this blew is, him up. <laughs> this is who, no, this is who raised. <laughs> she this took is out an AK-47. She said, take that. <laughs> Not at all. Absolute opposite. What she did was she took me in her hands. I was a baby, obviously. So I don't remember this. She tells me the story. My sister, though, was about three. And she literally walked door to door, knocked on the door and said, hi, introduced herself, introduced us as her kids. I'm a mother too. I am just trying to raise my family. I'll welcome you into our house. Have a cup of coffee. Get to know us before you continue to judge us. So that she could build relationships of trust in order to create the home and the community she wanted to be a part of. Okay, so forgive the ignorance, but do you speak Arabic, French, or both? Uh, Both. I understand both. I would say my Arabic is not great because I only really know the feminine. So if you were, (laughs) (laughs) you and I were conversing, I would definitely be insulting you um, in Arabic. So I generally, I understand it, but I always respond in English out of respect. So you just figured you'd pick one and you'd dominate, right? I'm just going to go with the feminine. (laughs) Well, you know how I do, Rob. (laughs) If it was was Italian, you just put an A at the end of it and everything would be feminine. Really interesting. What did you want to be in high school? So looking into adult life from high school is a very interesting perspective. I I was an artist at heart. So in my dream state, I thought I would be uh, like a fashion designer or um, interior designer. I really like design. Uh, Then the practical mind of 
functioning as adult, there was a side of me that also wanted to lead a company. I would go into my dad's office when I was younger and like kick him out of his chair and say, I'm president now, you know, (laughs) that kind of energy too. So yeah, I had a very unique left and right brain heightened exposure. So I wanted to truly figure out how I could integrate arts into business, I guess is what it would be if I were to summarize it. That's interesting. And it sounds like you're still sort of using both ends of your brain right now or both parts of your brain um, in the work you're doing. So you went to business school at George Washington University, yeah? Yeah, that's correct. How well do you think that that prepared you for business in the real world? Uh, I was so fortunate, Rob, where... um First of all, I applied to GW with a common application and was kind of like, oh, I'll go to... I, I had to check like two majors that I was interested in. It was like business administration and the arts, <laughs> right? And then I yep. got accepted into the business school, which like blew my mind. You know, like how, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> so then yeah. I was so fortunate that I said yes to that opportunity from GW because within my first year of being there, they changed the curriculum from my sophomore year to my senior year to mimic an MBA. And it was so perfect for me because I'm an immersive learner. I am not good about repetition, sitting in a classroom. I'm similar to you. Like I need to be active, moving in action. When I said yes to this pilot program they were offering, which mimicked the MBA, it was literally taking um, semesters and condensing them like from 14 weeks into 17 weeks, the same amount of content, if you can imagine, and kind of doubling up on what you get done. And so that definitely prepared me for the business world. Because when I graduated and I actually went after my first job, um, you know, I left DC and I, I went to San Francisco just to start a career. That was a big risk. And we can get into that if you'd like. But when I started my first few jobs out there, I was already ahead of a lot of people who had been working for a while on new technology. So if you think about the years when I was in college, it was 93 to 97. So that those are the years like internet came out, <laughs> right? Like we all got onto the interwebs or started to at least use email. And then the Microsoft Office Suite actually started at that time. And so as a student, we had access to learning those platforms before, before most corporations actually started to use them, which was really interesting. So it gave me an advantage in representing information in companies that had not been exposed to that before. But it definitely prepared me. I learned how to run projects. I learned how to do public speaking. I was, you know, business school gave me access to... Um, not only tech, but also marketing strategies and how to build a strategy, how to implement a plan, how to run a team. So GW was a great program. I was very fortunate to be a part of it. All right. So let's dig into some of the work that you're doing now. You are really, really good with working with people who have obstacles, maybe even in some cases, lifelong obstacles that are in the way of getting to their dreams. And you do this with your clients. And you even did it with me yesterday as uh, just a just a, a nice person that was really, really super helpful. Where do you think that people are getting tripped up in executing on what they want? In other words, is their vision unclear or are their action steps too vague? Or what's your thoughts on that? Uh, to touch on both parts, I, I think vision needs clarity for sure. 
but it also doesn't need to be perfect. So where the stress comes in around vision is that it has to be so clearly defined. And until I have that so clearly defined, I can't act. So you need to find the ebb and flow when it comes to truly creating the performance in life and the thriving life that you desire or the, or the thriving business that you desire. And I think people get tripped up, A, in trying to perfect what it could look like versus this is what I think it could be right now. And now let me go act towards it and take a step towards it. So when you think talk about obstacle removal, it's to get to the root of what's really stopping you right now from acting at least taking one step closer to what it is that you want next. Because it's not about just the end game, you know, and the end result. It's about the journey, you know, and, and I think we get caught up uh, in the mindset of perfection or judgment or even overwhelm, thinking about it too much. And in, until you actually get into action on it, you just don't know. So in my skill set, what I love to do is listen first. I always love to just say, what's going on? What's happening? And where are you at? And now what are you struggling with? So that I can understand, based on where you've told me you want to go, how to strategize on getting there. And when when I'm able to come up with multiple options, it, it actually gives my client the freedom to choose. They don't feel so overwhelmed or cornered or it's only this way. And that's really what I love and enjoy about the work I do because I could do it in business. I can do it in you know life development. I, I, it's, it's just so much fun to explore what's possible and then to encourage somebody on how to step forward into it. You know, I love this. I love what you said about vision needs clarity. But as with everything in life, the yin and the yang, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I, you know, one of the things that I see a lot is people are trying to create a vision of what they want and then the action steps. They want to know all the action steps from A to Z. But sometimes just taking action on B, going from A to B, is actually more powerful than laying out every single step because sometimes those steps change, right? That's correct. And that, and that's where really like the agility training that I've gone through helped me find practical ways to communicate how to take those little steps forward and then look at it. And do you need to pivot and make a change? And, and okay, take some more few steps forward. Like the permission to pivot is so critical to achieving anything because you never know what it's going to really look like until you're actually going after it and actually in action for it. And, and sometimes if someone is stuck in perfectionism, they don't act at all and they judge everything because they haven't given themselves the permission to pivot when it's just not going in the right direction or from the learning, they need to make it a little different in order to be successful. Does that make sense? It does. Do you think that perfectionism often is fear disguised? Totally. I think it's... Um, Unfortunately, I think we're we're raised under so much judgment and comparison that, you know, if you think about it back in school, which I think both of you and I have philosophy on on school settings and the grading system <laughs> of how like, mm -hmm. you know, you push hard to get this so-called A. And it really bothered me for many years and I actually challenged the system often which, you know, maybe to my demise on my GPA, but who cares, right? Like I'm not a number. 
I'm somebody that wants to be impactful and take what I learn and put it into action. You know, so a grading system never worked well for me. And when you compare me to other people who have an A and make me feel less than because I interpret information differently, then I could easily have the mindset of, well, I'm not perfect. So why bother? Why do I matter? Start self-sabotaging because I didn't accomplish that A. So a lot of us are trained to think in the the highest level as a comparison model and a judgment model that, that that creates a fear for us to start going after what we truly want. So I had to do a lot of unlearning and reframing in order to really jump into action towards the life I have today. Um, but I also help my clients do that all the time because it is, it is a fear. You're absolutely right. How do you counsel people to make the process of achieving their goals fun? Because I know that that's an important part of the work that you do. So how do you do that? So I bring a lot of laughter as much as I can into the hard moments. And what I mean by that is when you can show like why it truly matters to somebody and to make sure they're focused on fun and fulfillment to go after it, then it's so much easier to then step into it. So I, I love to celebrate with my clients and and um, even my team. You know, like it, celebration is something I had to learn because I was definitely for many years on the self-deprecating, self-sabotage route, <laughs> and I had to learn that you need to celebrate the moments and sometimes even celebrate the pa- the fact that you're on the other side of the pain. But the way I do that is really to make sure that when they set a goal that they're also setting how to celebrate it once they achieve it or how to celebrate the small wins in the meantime. Because if we're not shaking our asses and dancing and celebrating life, like what's the freaking point? You know, why work so hard? (laughs) So that's how I try to do it. I just inject it in to make sure that it's part of the process uh, is ensuring that there's a celebration in it as well. You know, I'll tell you, letting go, and this is like, this is no judgment on anybody else. This is my own, this is my own shit talking, but letting go sometimes is not that easy. I mean, like, you know, it was New Year's Eve uh, just a couple of days ago at the recording of this, and uh, we were out partying, and I, you know, I've just been, you know, working around the clock trying to get uh, some different projects done. And I'm in that, you know, space of work, and, you know, when you're in this efficiency mindset of getting, you know, your goals accomplished and being efficient and, you know, you're, it's New Year's Eve and, you know, the DJ's got the music pumping and, you know, you, 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 it's, it's time to shake your ass. You know, it's like, it's such a different muscle. I mean, I know this sounds weird, like first world problems, but it is such a different muscle to learn how to let go have fun and celebrate life. Sometimes we hide, I think, behind work. Yeah, it's very easy to hide behind achievement because you've mastered it. It's it's a comfort zone. It's not it's not right. Like it's not stretching you and making you feel uncomfortable. The other that's it. You just nailed it. That's it. That, that was a that was a that was an Oprah moment. If I <laughs> if I could do an Oprah accent or whatever, I would do it right now. <laughs> That was really good. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And the other part of it too, I think we need to define what celebration means to you as an individual. Because I mean, party and shake your ass might be my method, 
But I also have the other side of me that's very introverted that wants peace and quiet and and just intimate connection with somebody, you know, as a celebration or um, self-reflection sometimes is a celebration for me because I gave myself that time to do it. So I think we also need to get creative on how we celebrate uh, and really, really dig into that to make it true to you and, and your style uh, so that it makes you want to do it again and again. Because some people aren't into that party scene, you know? No, they're not. But you just brought up a really good point, And that is that you could say that you're not into it because you're not comfortable with it and it's a stretch for you. So it's more that it makes you uncomfortable to sort of let loose and have a good time than it is, you know, because I, I know a lot of people will say, eh, you know, I'm just not really into that. But really, if you unpack it, they don't know how, they feel self-conscious, you know what I mean? So they're hiding behind it. So I think you, I think you got to have that, you know, that honest conversation with yourself and say like, am I sitting here in this club, sitting on the chair, not dancing because I don't like it or because I feel uncomfortable? Right. So, okay, cool. I want to talk about the four letter word that we've been talking about, which is fear. And you talk a lot about how you could have fear around failure, but you can also have fear around success. And I'd like to explore this terrain a little bit because I don't think people really recognize the fear of success. You know, the fear of failure, well, that's obvious, right? I don't want to fail because what people think about me and blah, blah, blah. We all know that. But how do you think about fear of success? You know, it's interesting because, you know, even just entering the mastermind where we met and, and I immediately when I said yes to the invitation to come in, I had imposter syndrome, 100% fear of success. Like, am I really meant to be in this room? These people are amazing. How do I compare? You know, like, and if I am at this level, how do I sustain this level? That's the other fear that I think shows up when you are in an achiever mindset, and you're going after what you want and you're climbing that so-called ladder over and over, step over step. And you you feel as though you've checked the box of what success looks like. To me, I had to start redefining success as alignment. And if I let go of success, because success comes, it feels like it comes with this point of measurement so and sustainability, right? And that can create overwhelm. So what if I shifted it and what, what really means success to me is making sure that my, what I call fulfillment factor is as high as possible in everything that I do and aligned with how I choose to live my life, then the fear goes away because I'm still in action towards what it is I want. And it's not necessarily about that comparison model or um, the fear of being able to sustain it at that level. And again, giving myself permission to change my mind at any time. Because I had to learn how to do that too. <laughs> I love that. You know, you talk a lot about fulfillment and raising your fulfillment factor. And sometimes talking to people about fulfillment, I personally find that they view it as sort of an airy-fairy concept yeah. and they don't really embrace it. How do you coach people to really consider fulfillment? In other words, like, how do you... How do you unpack? Because it's esoteric. It, it's I don't know the esoteric word. It's um, subjective. Maybe that's the word. Like how how do you know if you're really fulfilled? Do you know what I mean? It's not like you can you know you set a goal for a million dollars. You look in your bank account. I have a million dollars. I did it. You know, fulfillment's a little bit 
different. Emotional. It, Emotional, it hit, yeah. Fulfillment, yeah, fulfillment hits your EQ, you know, not and it takes your IQ to achieve it, but your EQ is what is what where fulfillment lives. Your emotional quotient for those kids that are following along. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. And so when I think so I had to come up with a practical practice and I actually share it in my my first book, um, Be a Badass, Six Tools to Up Level Your Life. It's one of the tools I started to use with my one-on-one coaching clients because there was all this resistance to go after what they what they wanted by telling me they didn't have the time. And so I had to dig into, well, where are you spending your time and how much does it fill you up was the point of measure we came up with to be truly practical about how you connect fulfillment with what you do. So when I talk about fulfillment, it's like, what gives you this insane energy like this podcast having this conversation like being able to interact with you is like a 10 out of 10 fulfillment factor for me you know like i would do this all day every day cuz i love it so much that's a high fulfillment level for me of this task of this action of this interaction right now imagine if you took your day and you just went through this yourself like you just sold your practice you're now launching your new business. Well, if you were to go six months back and rate how you were spending your time on the things that filled you up and didn't fill you up, you don't would, send me. You would, please don't send me back there. You're never going back, honey. You're only going no, forward. But please that, don't send me back. <laughs> but the point is, is that you would have things that would be below like a seven, eight score of unfulfilling tasks at that time. Right. But now you're on the other side of it. Right. And you're trying every day to make sure that your time is spent on eight, up to eight, between the eight and 10 range of your fulfillment. So honestly, I had to get super simple. And I, and this is what I do too. I, I try to find practical practices that my clients and anybody I interact with can jump into action quickly to define it best for them in order to then move forward into what they want. So that fulfillment factor, um, task breakdown, and then you just score it and say, okay, out of 1 of 10, how does this fill me up? And then anything that's under the 8, you either need to delegate because it's an obligation that just has to get done, right? Or you need to figure out how to just get it out of your life because it only brings you down and away from the things that you truly are meant to do. How do you get them to do it when they, you know, a lot of times Tony Robbins talks about state story strategy, right? You're a, you're a fellow Tony uh, lover. You've been the date with destiny, you know, and one of the things he talks about is, you know, state story and strategy. Well, how are you, when people start looping the story, you know, I don't have time. I can't do it. You don't understand my situation. How do you break the trends? How do you get them out of the story? So as a coach, uh, empathy first. I meet them to understand exactly how it feels. And then I 100% ask, and how is that serving you? How is it serving you not having the time? Do you want to stay in this realm? Because it's a choice. You know, how does it serve you to use your relationship as an excuse or the lack of money as an excuse? Is it helping you propel forward? And, and so it's, I meet them where they are with empathy and understanding. And then I ask the question, do you want it to be different? Do you want to get it to the next level? Or is this the story that you want to continue to play? Because if it is, then it's not worth paying for my time to help you get there. If it, if it, 
wants to be, if, if you want it to be different, let's dig in a little bit and get to the root of the story of why this has become a belief versus an antidote in your life. I love it. So you're in, you're interrupting the pattern or the trance with questions. Yes. Because it has love to be the it. person's choice, Rob. Like, you know that too, right? Like we choose to show up the way we want in this world as much as we choose to believe the story we're telling ourselves. And, and, and the permissioning comes in a coaching stance, you know, to be able to be a reflection of the story you're telling me, to reflect it back to you in different shades of color, Right. <laughs> And then you can maybe choose a different way going forward or a reframing. That's where the coaching practice comes into play. I love that. Different shades. I learned something from Tim Ferriss I want to share with you that hit me. I think it's, it's kind of cool. Um, and I, I literally do this process every single day. Right When I do my journaling in the morning, I write at the top of the page, um, what would this look like if it were easy? What would this look like if it were fun? And what would this look like if it were elegant? So whatever story or problem I have, I run it through those shades and you cannot believe the answers you get from those questions. I love that. Isn't that cool? Yes, that is so cool. I love that. Our mutual friends, uh, Chris and Lori Harder, like they attacked me on that one when I gave it to them. Like Lori was like, you know, like jumping on my yes. back. She's like, you're changing my life <laughs> That's right. here. Because she, she was like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I got this book tour. I, got it. I said, what would this look like if it were easy? Yeah. She goes, what would this look like if it were easy? Yeah. Oh, sexy. <laughs> I like that. I can only imagine how you got her running. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your badassery. You've literally written the book on it called Be a Badass, Six Tools to Uplevel Your Life. What is your definition of a badass? You know, I, I think a, a badass is someone who truly steps into where they are right now and hones in on the desire to step forward into wherever they want to be next without hesitation. Just, mm, you know, like... So fearless. Fearless and also high integrity. You know, like I... I don't know a lot. And I am the first person to say, I just don't know, but I'll go find out, you know, and and there's a there's an essence in that energy that I think is so badass. Um, and I see it in others, you know, all the time because there's this willingness to learn and just explore and be on that journey. Uh, and I think that's really badass. You know, you you find your true self, your true calling, your your truth, really, and that you're walking in that truth every single day. To me, that's that's badass living. That is beautiful. Um, you've talked sort of openly about spending a lot of time in your masculine and not in your feminine. Why do you think that was for you? And maybe you can explain sort of like what led to that and how you look at that now. Because I know that there are a lot of women who... Maybe if they're, and I don't want to speak for women because I'm not one, mm -hmm. but I have had conversations with them in the past. And when I hear them say things like, you know, back then I was in my masculine, it, you know, I asked them like, why didn't you admit back then that you were in your masculine? And they said, look, as a woman who 
you know, wants to be feminine, you don't want to admit that you're in your masculine because that just feels <laughs> weird, right? Yeah. So, and I guess it would be the reverse. I don't want to tell anybody I'm in my feminine. So I get that. Right. But what do you think led to that for you and sort of like being on the other side of that? How, because I don't find you masculine at all. How do you look at that now? I love this topic because it was such an eye opener for me, Rob, when I when I started to explore it for myself and truly reconnect with my feminine energy, but integrate the masculine and feminine together in when it needs to show up. So for example, when you're running a business and you are focused on achievement and you you it requires tunnel vision to get that done, that is a masculine energy. Right. And when I say feminine, masculine, it's not male, female. It's these are energies. Right. And so when, when I was in mode of survival, so if I go back to, uh, I'll, I'll give you like just a different framework of when I was highly masculine energy is because I was in survival mode to get through a very stressful um, home life at the time that required me to be very transactional to just get through the day, just to survive. When, sorry to interrupt. When you say yeah. home life, do you mean as a child or you mean like a, an adult? Um, I was a young adult. So I'd say it's high school. My parents got divorced. It was very okay, it. intense. And a lot of demands came on me. Plus, I was in a college prep school that had a lot of demands as well. And I was a teenager, for Christ's sake. Like, <laughs> there was, there right. Was so you needed, you needed that masculine energy to be able to get through it. But then it became a part yeah. of you. Yeah. And then also at the time, I was being told because of what happened with my parents, not to trust a man, to make sure that I do everything I need to on my own so that I can like make the money, get into get into financial security and not rely on a man for that. Like that was a story being told to me. So in order to be in business, so then I go to business school again, like learning all these tactics when I got into the business world and in technology at the time was a very male dominated culture. And so I had to emulate in order to be accepted, if that makes sense. At least that's what I thought at the time. And a lot of women go through this. And I love that we're dialoguing on it because there's such a power in being able to be present in a room and find your voice and not have to feel like you have to emulate or mirror someone else to make yourself heard. Uh, but it takes a skill to learn that. But at the time, that's all I knew. And it, it took a very masculine energy to do that. Plus, I was also told at a younger age, there was always criticism on how attractive I was and also the don't flaunt it because you'll get the wrong attention. And a lot of us women get that too. It's like hide, you know, we slouch our... I slouch my shoulders down so my my chest doesn't lead first, right? But that's really mm -hmm. bad for my pro my posture. And you know that as a as a former chiropractor, right? But it's something that I would I would shrug down and try to feel smaller as a feminine energy when that's my beauty and that's my grace. Mm -hmm. And I and I didn't embrace it until much later in life to be able to walk into a room with feminine energy, knowing that the attention I'm getting is also about my mind, not just my body, but like integrate the two. I mean, we have so many things we're trying to to manage in our minds as we show up, right? Let alone your boobs, trying to put the boobs into the whole picture. <laughs> like I get it. 
I get it. I mean, it's enough already. You know how many you know how many plates I'm spinning right now? You want me to split spin those things? Who's got time for this? I under no, I you get know what it. I mean, like the wrong attention was really, you know, that's a protection thing. That's safety. Because as a feminine energy, we look to be safe. As a masculine energy, we look to be free. I want both. I want to be safe and free, right? So I had to find ways to integrate it. I love that. You know, there are great examples of feminine highly successful women. If you, I don't know if you follow uh, Sarah Blakely, the Spanx lady on oh, Instagram. Do you, you love her? Yeah, I love she her. She is so freaking feminine. Yeah. And like she is dancing around in that feminine energy all the way into the billions. I mean, it's really possible to do. And I think you're right. I mean, if we can just, I mean, look, we're going to, I'm going to go into my feminine. You're going to go into your masculine. That's sometimes you just have to. That's you just, have you know, to. we all have, we all have both. I mean, I have, I have estrogen in me too. You know, right. I mean, like we all, like we all, that's just how we're wired. But where are you? Do- yeah. But where are you dominant? I love that. Okay. Yeah. My yeah. God, time is flying by. Okay. <laughs> I got to go to the next part of this, which is I want to talk about the art of fulfillment with you. So if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Oh, the first place that came to mind was the Amalfi Coast and probably in Positano, where I could just hop a ferry to any other location and just really felt connected when I went there last. And uh, why is because the food is amazing. The people are so sweet and you can really be like yourself, creative and feel luxury, <laughs> you know, every single day. Love that. I got married um, in Amalfi by the <gasps> mayor of Amalfi. Oh. Another long, another story I'll tell you about. I'll send you some pictures. Yes, please. If you could only go to one restaurant before you die, mm-hmm. where would your last meal be? Hmm. That's a tough one. Could be local, could be worldwide, anywhere you want. First thing that comes to your mind. Well, the best meal I ever had, and it's unfortunate I can't remember this Osteria's name, but it was in Tuscany. Actually, I guess I'm an Italian lover. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Who isn't? Who isn't? But this, I made such an amazing meal and it's so unfortunate. I know I have the the card somewhere, but the, the name of the restaurant isn't coming up, but it was an Osteria on an olive farm. So like everything they made and as a vegetarian, like to know how they like treat the food and how they come up with so many different ways of creating it. Like we had olive butter and we had like olive ice cream and we had like, I mean, everything was just infused and delicious. I would go back there. Love that. Um, and we're doing our mastermind in Tuscany. So you better pull that yes, out because maybe we'll add it to it. Um, you know, a lot of times when I ask these questions to entrepreneurs, they get stuck because they say, well, my work really gives me lots of fulfillment. And I push back on that and say, look, there's lots more. I, I get that your work gives you fulfillment, but there's also lots of other things to learn in the world. So for you, what's the thing that's rocking your world now that has nothing to do with work? Well, I'm coming up with a plan because I've never been to countries in Asia. And um, mm. that's really just fascinating to me because it's a, it's a culture that I've admired from its cuisine because we get everything here in the New York area, right? But I haven't really immersed myself in how those cultures 
uh, come together. So I think Japan is the first one on the list. And I've almost been tempted to like try and learn Japanese or understand, you know, the characters a little bit and just really get a new understanding of that culture and and put the plan in place to go explore. That's kind of where I'm my head goes when I'm wanting to be the explorer that I am. Love that. You know, we all spend way too much time in front of a computer. What strategies do you have that are in place so that you can get some more human connection in your life? So every morning, I try to at least message a direct contact of gratitude for someone that pops into my mind. And I've been fortunate that I've hopped around the country uh, living and I have friends everywhere around the world where people come to mind in a way that I can send them like, I thought of you because this time we had together or, you know, I read this thing and, and I just want to say how much I appreciate because you bring that into my life. Um, so I try to do that every day and in, in connecting on a one-to-one relationship, like through my messaging apps, direct, like I don't do it on social media because that I feel like that's getting really noisy. And I try to create that connection and then follow up with what I'm going to do next, what, when we spend time, how can we create a you know, fun experience together? Love that. All right, let's move into the rapid fire round of questions. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you would like. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? I'm, I'm very welcoming, you know, like I, a welcoming embrace. It can heal a lot of their ailments. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. I sleep very soundly. <laughs> what do people What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Never ask me, but wish they did. Do you know how to belly dance? <laughs> wow. I'm assuming the answer is yes, because no would be such a disappointment. <laughs> So I know exactly what I'm doing with you next time I see you in LA. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? Uh, Clearing my message. You know, I I have so much going on in my heart and my head and I constantly want to get better at uh, communicating it in a practical way. What audio book or book have you reread or re-listened to the most? Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Mm, do you know she's running for president now? I do. I hear that. And she comes to New York often. So I'm hoping to catch her soon. She did. I went to a, um, I went to one of her talks a hundred years ago. I mean, like I'm talking like in the 80s. And it was fascinating. She took a girl, a beautiful 20-something woman. And the room was about 500 people. And she takes this beautiful 20-year-old, grabs her by the hand, brings her on stage. And the women was, the room was, there was a lot of women in the room. And she said, what comes up for you when you see this woman, right? And everybody just sort of like had, you know, the women had like this sheepish sort of like, you know, feeling about her, but that nobody really said anything, but there was an energy, a palpable energy you could feel. And then she brings her down the stairs and she takes another baby. She takes a baby who's like, three months old and brings it up and shows it to the room. And everybody's like, ah, and she's like, what is the difference in how you react to this person versus that person? Mm-hmm. And every time I hear her name, I think of that yeah. story. She anchored it in me. Isn't that interesting? That's beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Okay. What's the one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but never will? 
So I ha- I did do artwork in college and I do still have that artwork. And so I'll probably keep that as much as I should get rid of it because it's all like framed in boxes. So that that is something that I do have that I'll probably never get rid of. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, speak about, and it could be on anything that you like or have a passion for, what would it be? I'd love to, you know, I, I mean, I've spoken only a little bit about it, but I, I, I would really love to do a talk on that masculine and feminine integration and how we can create stronger communities you know, in finding better ways to communicate and act in those natural stances. You know, like love that, that. that speaks to my heart for sure. Yep. I'd buy a TED ticket to go see that one. I love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's change it up a bit for the last question. What one question would you like to ask me? Awesome. So in this juncture of your personal life transformation, because you've got a lot going on, yeah. What are your methods to make sure that you stay true to you every single step you take? You know, this is going to be sort of a sideways answer and I may have to like reform the question a little bit, but what's coming up for me now, which has never come up before, no, not never, but not at the rate that it's coming up now, is fear. And I used to be like, why, you know, why does everybody have so much trouble with fear? Like, what is the big thing with fear? But when you leave, because the problem was that I was doing something as a chiropractor that I was so familiar with. It was right. so predictable I, that I knew yeah. exactly what to do. And so I really never stepped into fear. And everything I'm doing right now is new. And I have, you know, I have no proof. I have no references. I have no history to show. So I, what I'm experiencing more and more is fear that keeps mm-hmm. coming up. So I'm having to, every moment by moment, I'm having to step into the fear, dance with the fear and say, I belong here and I'm going to make this happen. And it's okay that I haven't done it before. So I'm definitely battling, definitely battling fear. I'm not sure that that's a an answer to the question, but that's what came up for me. I love that. And you know, the way you stay true to yourself, it sounds like is in the willingness to continue to explore and put yourself out there. There you go. That's exactly right. Well, Kareen, this has been the fastest hour ever. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Well, you know, first, Rob, I really appreciate you having me on today. And it's just so awesome. I love our conversation. So thank you for that. Mm, You are so welcome. And then for your listeners, um, I I will be launching a a new book uh, called Lead with Value. And, you know, once it's out, which, which should be around when this airs, I hope that you grab a copy and and shoot me a review or a comment and, and let me know that you're reading and, and connecting. I love to connect. So that would be my ask. You bet. I will link it all up in the show notes and we will uh, take the power of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast, put it behind your book and get you the number one. Oh, you're so sweet. Thanks so much, Rob. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game 
or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.